Good morning. Good to see everybody this morning. It is a beautifully chilly Lord's Day, and we are glad to be gathered as the people of God, the house of God uh, today, and thankful for a warm building. Uh, if you're visiting with us for the first time, we want you to know we're glad you're here. If you join us via live stream, welcome. Uh, here at East Elijah, we have been captivated by Christ. We have seen in the gospel of Jesus Christ the glory of God. The Bible says that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have been given the grace of God, uh, the goodness, the mercy, the love, uh, though we didn't deserve it through Jesus Christ. And, and, and the love and the beauty of Jesus has captivated us. And so we're here to spread our enjoyment of His beauty with the world. We hope you'll see Him today in all of His glory and be captivated by Him as well. Uh, just before we stand and greet one another, I want to give a couple quick thank yous. Thank you to our building and grounds guys. A couple of them climbed up on the roof when it was about 10 this morning and got a couple of heaters going so that uh, we were at least uh, somewhat warm in our, in our uh, colder spots this morning. But thank you guys for that. Thank you to Scott Yost for helping me set up communion this morning. And so just appreciate all those who serve in all kinds of ways uh, behind the scenes. So thank you guys. Let's stand. And if you'll find somebody you don't know and introduce yourself, that would be great. And then we'll come back together in just a moment for our scripture reading. All right, if you'll make your way back to your spot and remain standing. Let's make your way back to your pew and remain standing for the reading of God's Word. We want to read from Hebrews chapter 10 again. Uh, the verses we read, we'll be reading right now are sort of the backdrop for our study in Hebrews 11 when we open God's Word a little bit later. So... There in Hebrews 10, verse 19, it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain that is through His flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a heart, a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised 
is faithful. And then verse 35 says, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. And verse 39 says, we, But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have, conf- who have faith and preserve their souls. We are of the people of faith. And the faith that is ours is we can have a full assurance of faith in the presence of God. We can draw near to God and know that we're accepted because Christ has come. And lived a perfect life in our place. He's gone to the cross. And there, as the great high priest offered himself as the final sacrifice that atoned for the sins of the world. And we must endure, the text says, in that faith. We have need of endurance so that when, we have, uh, when you've done the will of God, you may receive what's promised. Uh, I'm so thankful to know the gospel, amen? And to be, by the grace of God... One who, who God has given faith to trust Christ. And, and so thankful that, that I have this hope. Uh, that you and I, if you know Christ, you have this eternal hope. This present hope that right now you're accepted by Him. But this eternal hope that you'll forever be with Him. You'll forever be in relationship with the one and true God. Even the Lord Jesus Himself. But so many around us don't have that hope. And, and so we want to pray for our witness to our neighbors as well as for the nations. This morning, the Najdi Arab people, uh, Muslim people in Kuwait, there's a quarter million people there uh, among this people group in Kuwait, and there's no known believers among them. So we want to pray for the gospel to reach this people group. Join me as we pray and praise God for our salvation, pray for the salvation of the nations and your neighbors, and also as we pray for some that are grieving and, and, and sick today. Father, we praise you. Because you took the initiative and sent your son, a new and living way for us to come to you has been opened up, even through the breaking of Christ's body on the cross, through his death and his resurrection. And we praise you for the reality that we can live our lives with full assurance of hope, full assurance of faith, knowing that Christ is enough that we are forever reconciled with God. And that though we are enemies, we are now your children, sons and daughters of the living God. We praise you. And Father, for our neighbors, for those we know, right up close and in person, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, um, God, that don't know you, we pray for them. We pray for uh, ourselves, that we be bold witnesses to them. And God, we pray that you would raise up... uh, your people to take the gospel to the Najdi Arab people in Kuwait. Open doors for the gospel. Open hearts to the gospel there. Today, Father, we pray for uh, two families that are grieving. We continue to pray for the family of Betty Burnett. Uh, Father, we pray for the the family of James Hughes. We lift up uh, Hayden Pritchett and Teddy Milton. We pray especially for Tina Johnson today as she is uh, struggling with... uh, pneumonia and, and, and just needing, needing to get through some things so she can have a heart procedure. We pray, Father, for Billy Duncan and George Wester, for Wilburn, Wilburn DeFore and Denise Key, Steve Eller and Chris Hanley, Carol Kemp and Liz Clark, 
Legene Aiken and both Angie and Larry Callahan. Father, we continue to pray just even um, in recent days for Pat Hamby and Fran Waddell, uh, for Vicki Waters, and uh, thank you that Tricia Patterson's back with us today. We uh, pray for um, uh, Paul Harrington, and we lift up David MacArthur this morning, and, and finally, Father, we pray for uh, father of a friend of mine, Jeff Wall. Thank you, Father, that as we run through so many names, um, they're not just names to you. You know each of these individuals. You see them right now. And we ask, God, that you would work and be the great physician. We pray, Father, for those grieving, that you would uh, make yourself known to them as the God of all comfort in ways that only you can. And so we wait on you. Father, thank you for the privilege of worship today. May Christ be exalted. And this morning, may we find in him our all in all. May we be greatly encouraged to trust Christ, to persevere, to have endurance in our faith walk with you. May we not grow weary. May we not be distracted. But for the glory of Christ, may we live trusting you and obeying you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Remain standing as we worship in song. We're glad you joined us this morning. Let's sing Because He Lives.
my favorite song today. Sing with Leslie as she leads us. Defender 
Y'all can be seated. And Father, how we praise you that you are our God and there is none like you. You are our strong God no matter how we feel, no matter what we're facing today, no matter the circumstances of our lives, no matter what it appears to be in this world, you are Almighty God because you are the God of resurrection. Lord, you raised Jesus from the dead. Lord Jesus, you defeated the ultimate enemy in all of our lives, death itself, and the sin that caused death. There is no one greater or higher or bigger or stronger than you. Forgive us when we live weak lives because we lose sight of your greatness. And thank you today for this time of worship that has reminded us of our great King. And now from your word, teach us. And by your spirit, through your word, transform our lives. Don't just instruct our minds. That's not what you're about, Father. Change our hearts and consequently our living. Because that's the worship you're worthy of. And we pray that you would do that all for our good, but above all, your glory's sake. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Turn with your Bibles this morning to Hebrews chapter 11. And as we turn there, we will dismiss to Children's Church. Hebrews chapter 11. So who are your people? We've all got our people, right? Now that question, it can be answered a number of different ways. For me, the Kellys and the Coxes are my people. Those are the two families that I physically descended from. On another level, Betsy and our six kids are my people. And on yet another level, we have friends that have proven themselves loyal and true, and we're glad to call them our people, right? Y'all tracking along? We've all got our people. It's good to have your people. It's good to know your people in, in all these different ways, on all these various levels. In fact, some of you in the room, uh, Tim Brooks, are really serious about their physical genealogies. And that's a fascinating thing to trace out and see who, who your people were back when. But for us as Jesus followers, we need to know on the spiritual level, on the level of faith in Jesus Christ, who our people are. Because the reality is, listen to, to this statement, the reality is that our spiritual family, our spiritual people, they're our only forever people. Our only forever family 
who along with us will eternally live in the presence of our Heavenly Father. And so we continue this morning our study of the book of Hebrews. We've been looking at the book under this simple title, this statement, this declaration. Don't forget who Jesus is because it changes everything. And it is our oneness in Jesus that makes us all to be each other's people. All who trust the Lord Jesus. The author of Hebrews thought that this was so important that he gave us a whole chapter talking about our people. That's what Hebrews chapter 11 is all about. The verses we read a little bit earlier, I want to reread because it's important to get a run and go into 11 so you understand the context. In, in verse 35 of chapter 10, he says, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. What confidence? Your confidence in Christ, that, what, that through his cr crucifixion, you can have full assurance of faith before God. Don't lose that confidence, for it has great reward, for you have need of endurance. In other words, your faith needs to endure. It needs to be a long-haul trust in the Lord Jesus, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. And then at the very, in the very last verse of the chapter, verse 39, he says, But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their, their souls. And so as chapter 11 begins, it's as if the author is saying, now, here are our people. You're not of a people that shrink back and are destroyed. A people who start following Jesus and then quit. A people who start out strong, trust in Jesus and living different from the world, but then suddenly, 5, 10, 15, 20 years into their, their walk with Christ, they're no longer walking with Christ, and they're no different than the world, you are of those who have faith and do not shrink back and preserve their souls. And so now, let me, let me, let, let's talk about, the author says, our people. Our people. Which is the title of today's message from Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 16. Hebrews 11 is a reminder of who our people as are as followers of Jesus Christ and what their faith was like. And the truth I want you to take home, the, the, the main point of the whole chapter is this. Understanding the faith of our forefathers should spur us on in our race of faith as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, our resurrected Savior King. When we look back at our people's faith, it should serve to spur us on that like them, we too persevere in faith. But what we're going to see before this message is over, stay with me on what I'm about to say. I want you to try to see this as we go. It should be easier for you and for me than it was for them. You say, ah, I'm not sure. I'm Okay, that's fine. Just hang on to that thought and you'll get it by the end. Here we go, Hebrews chapter 11, verse Verses 8 through 16. It says there, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive his inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself 
received power to conceive. Even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. Understanding the faith of our forefathers should spur us on in our race of faith as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, our resurrected Savior King. Four things I want you to see from these verses this morning. Number one, Abraham's faith, Abraham's faith was faith that ventured into the unknown and unseen based on the promise of God. Abraham's faith, remember, we need to understand the faith of our forefathers so we can be encouraged to persevere. Abraham's faith was faith that ventured into the unknown and the unseen based on the promise of God. Verse 8, by faith Abram, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. God comes to Abraham. You're familiar with it in Genesis 2, uh, 12, verses 1 and 2. And the Lord says to Abraham, go from your country. Go leave that place from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land that I will show you. And I will make a great nation of you. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Here's the question. Would we obey God in that situation? I mean, just imagine it. Jeb, this is God speaking. I want you to pick up the whole thing. Shut your law practice down. I want you to pick up and just start moving. And I'll show you where. Can you imagine? Does our faith, not in the voice of God from heaven as it were in Abraham's situation, but is our faith in God's Word and the promises given in it, does our faith in what God has said cause us to follow Him when we have no idea where we're going to end up? Here's the deal. If you take this book seriously, then you'll be moving in directions you're not sure the outcome of. You'll start, I mean, it's real simple. Like, like he says, do certain things, and, and, and you start to change the way you live. This is not, a, this is not a, a map, geographically speaking. It's a spiritual map. So you start obeying. You start changing the way you live, the way you treat other people, the way you think about money, the way you think about life. I mean, you just go down the line. Everything about the gospel changes us practically. And so we began to go down that road, so to speak. We don't know where we're going to end up when we change the way we live. 
does our faith in the promises of God allow us to step out into the unknown, venture out into the unknown, the unseen, based on the promises of God? Or do we demand that we know the plan before we take that first step? God, here's the thing. If you lay it out for me, make it really clear, and show me what you want for my next five years. You know, even churches now are big into having five-year strategies. What? God's never worked that way with his people, just saying. Not laying out every step along the way. Now, he may give you a long-term perspective and, and may show you something about the future, but there's a lot of steps that he's going to reveal. How? One day at a time, one step of faith at a time. One trust and obey moment at a time. Do we demand another plan, or are we living a faith that ventures into the unknown and unseen based on the promise of God. Abraham, secondly this morning, along with Isaac and Jacob, their faith was, number two, faith that mandated a sojourner's lifestyle because it focused on an eternal city. Their faith in God, the relationship they had with God, the trust relationship they had with God, it mandated that they live like, in fact, they were as sojourners here. Just passing through this world on the way to an eternal home because it was indeed, their faith was focused on an eternal city. Verses 9 and 10 tell us about it. By faith, he, Abraham, went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For, why did he live like that? Why did all the patriarchs, Isaac through Jacob and, and others, why did they live like this? For he and they were looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And so now if you're familiar with the story of the Old Testament, if you're familiar with the building of the nation of Israel through Abraham, through, uh, if you're familiar with the promises and, 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 and as they go to the what? They travel as a group to the promised land. If you're familiar with those things, uh, if you're familiar with the conquest that would follow, God gives them the land. Little by little, He gives them the land. They possess the land. Then when you read this verse... They're kind of camping out through the land of Canaan, perhaps this is what it means. And, and, uh, and so, the, of, course, of course, they're living as, as nomads and sojourners because, hey, they're on their way to a real city that has foundations. No more of this tent living. No more of this camping out in the, in the wilderness. Uh, one day, we're going to settle in that city on Mount Zion called Jerusalem. And so, maybe you'd be tempted to think that this city was the earthly city of Jerusalem that was yet to be the future capital of the nation of Israel. But let me just go ahead and say it out loud. That is absolutely not what the author of Hebrews is talking about here. Now, you're going to have to wait a few minutes before we see how we can know that that is absolutely true. They were looking for a different city, a city whose foundations had, that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. But for now, here's the question for you and me. Do we look like campers in this world? Do we look like we're on a camping trip 
Now, I'm sure it, it, it depends. And some of you, you know, that, that word has evolved so much through the years, right? I'm just looking around, people I know. So Wes is maybe in the house, and Sarandi back there, and I think Chris. All these guys have campers. Y'all with me? Dang what we're talking about, guys. Sorry. Cool. I'm into that. That's the only kind of camping I'm into, is in a camper. But they lived in tents, the text says. We'll look at it later. They lived in tents as, as if they were strangers in a foreign land. Do we look like campers in this world? Because we're looking for an eternal city that God will give us one day. Realizing that we were never intended to build our lives on earthly foundations. Again, more about that later. Faith that mandated, uh, the, the faith of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob was a faith that mandated a sojourner's lifestyle because it was focused on an eternal city. Thirdly, this morning, Sarah is mentioned. Saw two things about Abraham's faith. Now, Sarah. Sarah's faith teaches us next in verse 11. And it's really surprising. It's super surprising that. Sarah is in this chapter about faith. Because back in Genesis, we never hear about Sarah's faith. In fact, we only hear about Sarah's doubt, and we even hear that she laughs at God's promise. She laughs at the promise God gave that you Ma'am, a 90-something-year-old lady, you're going to bear a son. Never born one up to this point, barren physically. But you, not your servant Hagar, you will be the mother of the nation of Israel. You will birth Isaac, and from him, your offspring will be as the sand of the seashore. Not only did she laugh in a lack of faith and say something out loud like, you got to be kidding, God. Me? Furthermore, when confronted, God, God tells Abraham that she laughed. And God, or Abraham goes to Sarah and she said, I didn't laugh. She lied about laughing. There is no faith of Sarah mentioned in the book of Genesis. What I love about Sarah appearing here in Hebrews 11 is that apparently God changed her heart and she believed God's promise after all. Even as Isaac was conceived, somewhere in there she began to believe the promise of God. And I don't know about you, but that sounds a whole lot like my faith. Sounds a whole lot like how my faith goes sometimes. And how God is so patient and tender with me, even as he corrects and disciplines and trains me from a place of unbelief back to a place of faith. Sarah's faith was, third of this morning from verse 11... Sarah's faith was faith that was convinced of God's supernatural power to overcome the physically or naturally impossible. Sarah's faith became a faith that was convinced of God's supernatural power to overcome the physically or naturally impossible. Verse 11, by faith Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Somewhere between laughter and the birth of Isaac, 
she came to believe God. She trusted God. And by faith, she considered the God who had promised. She quit laughing. She quit laughing and took it seriously. She believed. I, I can't. I laughed. But now I believe. God, I didn't think you, even you, could do it. But you did it. And, I can, and she considered, it says, him who, who considered him faithful who had promised. Do we consider God faithful and able to do what he has said he will do, even when it makes no sense and is physically and naturally impossible? Sarah's faith was a faith that was convinced of God's supernatural power to overcome the physically and naturally impossible. And so at 90 years of age, she conceived and the promised child was born. And the rest is history. And verse 12 kind of sums it up by saying, Therefore, based on the faith of Father Abraham and Mother Sarah from one man and him as good as dead, because he was a hundred, were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. You see, he wrote, the author of Hebrews wrote to Jewish believers. They were very familiar with all of this Old Testament history. They knew what their nation had grown to be, and they knew that it all started right there in the Abraham and Sarah story. The nation of Israel was born. It would grow. And over the course of generations, the nation of Israel would produce the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, so that the children of Abraham would become and are continuing to become like the grains of sand by the seashore as the gospel of God brings multitudes into the family of faith in Jesus Christ day after day after day in our world right now. Now, if you ain't thought this has been good so far, now's where it gets really good. And I need a drink of water because we're fixing a roll. Verses 13 to 16. Number four. The faith of the patriarchs of Israel was faith that sees and greets spiritual realities from afar, certain of an eternal home, even the new Jerusalem in the new heavens and the new earth. What was the faith of our forefathers like? That's what it was like. It was a faith that sees and greets spiritualities from afar, certain of our eternal home, even that home being the new Jerusalem and the new heavens and the new earth. Verse 13. So after beginning his list of uh, lives of faith, he's going to continue it beginning in verse 17 again, going to go back to the life of Abraham again. But the author says, he pauses and says, these all, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised. Now it's interesting because they did receive the land. There's a lot of things that they were promised that they did in fact receive, but the author of Hebrews instructs us and gives us a great 
foundational truth for biblical theology beginning to end. God's focus in it all has always been on Jesus and eternity future. It's always been about eternity with God. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. By the way, a lot further away than us. Remember that. And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus, make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is... They desire a better country. That is, in case there's any question, a heavenly one. Hey, y'all, these are our people. This is who we're supposed to be like as we follow Jesus. This is the people you are part of. People who have a faith that sees and greets spiritual realities, eternal things in the future from afar, and live with a certainty that this is not our home, but the new Jerusalem is our destination. You see, understanding the faith of our fathers should spur us on in our race of faith as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, our resurrected King. I don't know if anybody's ever asked you this question before, but here it goes. You ready? Is the new Jerusalem real to you? What did we say faith was last last week, Chris? Assurance of things hoped for. I I didn't actually mean for him to answer, but what a great and quick Johnny on the spot answer. And evidence of things not seen. Is, that's right. (laughs) High five from his wife, Alice. Way to go. Is the new Jerusalem real to you? Or is it just something that, you know, there's a, everybody's got a different way to think about that. Who, who knows? Revelation 21, who knows? Is it real to you? Can you see it? Have you seen it from afar? Have you greeted it? Do you ever look out toward eternity and say, that's my home. This ain't it. That's where I'm going. Do you confess to be sojourners here on earth? Just passing through. Living that camp life without the campers. It's me and Jesus in tents. Till heaven. Are you convinced that your best life is far more than your life here on earth in LJ? That you're not, in fact, living your best life? Can I just say this out loud? I mean, it, whenever I say it, the answer is obviously yes, because what you're going to do? I mean, here I am, I got the mic. <laughs> it just burns me up when I hear Christians say, I'm living my best life. No, you're not. That's the stupidest thing you could ever say as a follower of Jesus Christ. And please, if you've ever said it, Repent and quit saying it. 
And I've thought it, so I'm guilty too. Well, I'm, not again, I'm not down on y'all. Look, you're not living your best life. And you know what the world needs to see? Is us acting like it, believing it, saying it, and looking like campers to show them that our best life is out there. And by the way, here's the truth. Those people that need to see you living that way so that they know about what the best life truly is, listen to what I'm fixing to say. If they don't know Jesus, this is their best life. And it gets a hell of a lot worse when they die. Hell forever. They need to see us living knowing that that is our best life. The life that's not even yet begun. The faith of the patriarchs was a faith that sees and greets spiritual realities from afar, certain of an eternal home, even the new Jerusalem in the new heavens and the new earth. And here's what I want you to catch. This was true of Old Testament believers. The ones we just read about. Because you do understand, verses 13 to 16 were written about them and how they thought. And what's amazing is those guys, Abraham and Sarah, they did not know the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is yes. You tracking along? They did not understand what you understand. They did not understand that Jesus lived a perfect life in our place. That he, as the great high priest in the order of Melchizedek, would offer himself as the final and only true sacrifice for sin. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. They did not understand that he would, after three days in the grave, rise from the dead in victory and be exalted to the Father's right hand where he today, today, forever reigns as resurrected King, Lord of lords, and eternally intercedes for us with the Father. They didn't understand any of that. They understood God would save somehow. Some of them, that's about all they had. And it was enough in the plan of God. But you and I understand all of that. We claim to serve. Listen to what I'm saying. Do we think about the words that come out of our mouths sometimes? That we sing. We serve a resurrected king. You know why I don't get uptight about politics? Because Jesus is king. He's Lord of lords. He rules and reigns. Do you understand? We have the proof of the resurrection. They had promises. Are we in heaven yet? No, but here's the deal. We've seen the Messiah seeing, looking back in history now, crucified and risen. We know that today he is at the Father's right hand. At least that's what we say. Do we believe it? Is it real? Do we have, Chris, the faith to, 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 to make that Evidence of something that's not seen. It's real. And we see it with the eyes of faith God gives. 
Here's the thing. If we get our hearts and our minds around the truth that we serve a resurrected king, it changes everything. And until everything changes, then we probably should check ourselves to see if we really understand the words that come out of our mouth when we sing, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Hey, because he lives, you can live like a camper in this world till glory. Because he lives, you're not living your best life. Your best life is yet to come. And it's, listen, it is coming more certainly than the sun will rise tomorrow. Do you believe that? I'm going to be with Jesus more certain. I mean, what, what, what is less certain is that the sun will come up tomorrow than I'll be with Jesus forever. And I'm pretty sure that somewhere, I don't even remember, not anymore, it's, it's later and later, 740-something, it'll rise tomorrow morning. They didn't even have the full gospel. We are fixing to run through a bunch of scriptures, so I just want you to listen. The passages, the references are on the screen. If you want to make a quick, quick note of those, real quick, jot them down and you can read them in full later. But I'm fixing to read them in full and I'm fixing to read them fast. Okay? I want you to listen. I want you to just close your eyes and listen to God's Word. I'm not going to comment. I'm going to try not to comment. Probably put that in there just in case. I don't want to lie, don't want to lie from the pulpit. But anyway, I want to try to just read through them. I just want you to be... Let your heart and mind be bathed in the, in the gospel, in the beauty of, of Christ, and in the hope that we have because of, of who Jesus is. Are you ready? Here we go. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12, Peter says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now... You are God's people. Once you'd not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, we've heard that before, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. In other words, live like campers and live like you're not living your best life so when they see your weirdness... They'll glorify God when Jesus comes. 2 Peter 3, verses 11 through 14 says, Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, in other words, this whole world, he just said, is going to be burned up on Judgment Day, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. We invest so much in this world, it's going to burn one day. But according to his promise, the same promise we've been talking about, the same promise those Old Testament saints believed, but according to his promise, we are waiting for what? Where did I get this? The new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, that is the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish. And at peace, be ready for his coming when he comes to take you to the new heavens and the new earth. By the way, that's a real simple eschatology, and I believe it is just that simple. Revelation 21. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Can you see it? 
For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. That verse is the fulfillment of the promise. That is the point of the entire universe, of all of human history. That's where we're going. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he, was, he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Verse 22 of the same chapter says, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Chapter 22, verses 1 and following. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. That's us. They will see His face. And His name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Glory! Sometimes we ask stupid questions. What are we going to do in heaven? That's what we're going to do in heaven. And here's the deal. When we see Jesus face to face... We ain't going to be bored. It's our sinful unbelief that makes us think that will be boring. It is our lack to apprehend the glory of God in this world that we'll see in that moment. We will be enraptured by His beauty. We'll bathe in His glory forever. Now, will we actually do stuff? I don't know, but that'll be the point of whatever we do. Of whatever we do. To hold fast to our faith in Christ. To live flat out crazy lives of faith. This is the whole point of Hebrews 11. 
Why does he go back and say, here's your people? Why? So that you and I can hold fast our faith in Christ and live flat out crazy lives of faith in this world and, and to show us that it should be easy for us compared to the faith that was acquired of our forefathers. Because unlike them, we have the fullness of God's revelation, the fulfillment of, Scripture says in Corinthians, of all of God's promises in the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, in the person of Jesus Christ, Jesus is God's yes to all the promises and the fulfillment thereof. And so for you and me, here's the whole point of Hebrews 11. Do we struggle to persevere in our faith? Yes. Did God know we would? Yes. Are you going to keep struggling after this sermon? Yes. But his point was, if the Old Testament saints who were so far from the fullness of Christ could persevere in faith, then you and I who know the gospel, who have a personal relationship with a risen and reigning king, then we can do it. We can do it. These are our people. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Understanding the faith of our forefathers should spur us on in our race of faith as we keep our eyes locked on Jesus, our resurrected Savior, King. We come today to the Lord's table to renew our faith in Jesus. To renew our commitment to live as God's crazy people until Jesus comes. And we live with him forever on the new earth in the new Jerusalem. Can you see it? Let's pray as we prepare our hearts. I'll ask some of our deacons to make them their way to the front to help me serve the Lord's table. Father, we thank you for what you've shown us. Now we can see through eyes of faith that you've given us even the things unseen. Father, thank you that we live in these last days. We live in the time where all of your promises have come to fruition in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. They continue to be unfolded in his ongoing intercession and reign over the world. And one day will be culminated when you return in the great judgment and the ushering in of the new heavens and the new earth and the bringing to earth of the new Jerusalem, even us, the bride of Christ, to dwell forever in the presence of our Father and the Lamb. We pray that this time at the table, Lord, would prepare our hearts, would change us, would encourage us, would be a time where we could recommit to following you like the saints of old, but with so much more light and resurrection power. 
And so, Father, search our hearts now. You tell us in your word through the Apostle Paul that whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Paul charges us to let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And you tell us through Paul there that that's why many in Corinth were weak and sick and some had even died. Because they didn't take the cross and the resurrection, the work of Jesus seriously. They played games in their gatherings. And so, Father, we're not worthy of this meal. That's not what it means. But may we come in a way that shows the value of who Jesus is and what he's done. May we partake of this bread and the cup in a way that shows the beauty and value of Jesus and him crucified and risen, and reigning forever. Christ be glorified, even now as we celebrate, we ask in your precious name. Amen. Paul went on in in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians to say that he received from the Lord what he also delivered to the Corinthian church, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When Jesus died on the cross and his body was broken and his blood was shed, We read it earlier, he opened for us a new and living way to God. The separation of our sin that kept us from the presence of God, that caused God to not be able to have fellowship with us and vice versa, it was removed through the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. And now there is no curtain. We can go straight in through Christ to the presence of the Father, to the throne of our Father. We who are unholy have been declared righteous because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Jesus in another place said that my flesh is true food. My body is true food. My my blood is true drink. And he wasn't cannibalistic. What he was saying is for the soul, for for eternity, for, for your spiritual life before God, one must eat and drink of the work of Christ on the cross. We must by faith trust that his body broken on that cross, his death in our place was enough. But he didn't stay dead. That last verse says, As often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended to the Father's right hand, and he is coming back. And when he comes back, he's going to judge the earth, as we've already read today, and he's going to take us all home to live in the new Jerusalem forever. Forever. But until then... With our mouths in communication of the gospel and with this meal, we're to preach to the world. The death of Jesus is your only hope. Apart from Christ, crucifixion and resurrection, there is no salvation to be had. And so if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, 
this meal is not for you, it's for believers. But what we are saying to you in our eating and drinking is just that. We are calling to you. We are crying out to you. We've been where you are, and we're saying to you on Jesus' behalf, we're saying, be reconciled to God. And there's one mediator between God and man. Only one person can make you right with God. His name is Jesus. And today you can, with your heart, trust him. You can feast on his finished work on the cross and his resurrection and trust him. When we eat this bread and drink the cup, that's not, that doesn't save us. It doesn't keep us saved. There's no magic in the meal. It's a picture of the power of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. And we're testifying in, our, in this physical act that that is the only hope for my salvation and it's the only hope for yours. So we pray you'll come to him even as we eat and drink. Church, I invite you to come to the table. If you're visiting us for the first time today, everybody laughs at me, but I'm, I'm, I'm really trying to save your Sunday clothes. There's two layers to the lids of these little COVID cups. Get the clear one first to get the bread. Do not go deep or you'll get grape juice in your lap. So go one layer at a time. If you have a gluten uh, intolerance, and then we have gluten-free bread right here. And so everybody stand up. The way we do it, we just kind of come forward. You, you serve yourself. Um, even as the worship team leads us in song. If ever I should lose my way, if ever. 